All right, so Matt, what would two termites order if they went to a restaurant? <laughs> uh, a wood sandwich. A table for two. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, everybody. Here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Hey, I'm doing good. Good. It's uh it's gotten hot again in Texas. We had a <laughs> we had yeah. a little respite from the heat and then uh it's back to Texas heat again. So, you know. It's going to be, it was, it was in the seventies here today. It's going to be in the forties on Saturday. Holy cow. I mean, we're, we're going to have a, a 30 degree change. And, uh, I was just like, everybody's oh, going to be sick. It's going to suck. Yeah. Everybody's going to be sick. So we decided we're going to paint in, in the house on Saturday. Hey, there you go. It's not going to be weather to go out. Yeah. That, that sounds good to me. You can get nice and high from the paint fumes too. So that'll be good. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, real quick. We want to say, go check out the Podbelly network at podbelly.com. You can find a list of shows, uh, that are all members of the Podbelly network. And you might find something on there that you've not found anywhere else that you would enjoy. So go check it out at podbelly.com. We also want to thank tonight's sponsors, better help, Lomi, and uncommon goods. And we'll talk more about them as we go through the episode. Uh, if you have not joined our Patreon, go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and sign up. You can choose one of the three levels that we've got. Our $10 a month patrons get to see the video versions of us recording these episodes, plus the video versions of our bonus episodes that we put out. Um, and we think like Matt was saying once before, it would be a good Christmas gift. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you've got a, if you've got a graveyard member, um, that that's on your Christmas list, this is a great thing. You're giving them bonus, bonus episodes, um, bonus, um, access, I guess, you know, with the video and along with the, uh, all the flubs and mess ups mm -hmm. and, uh, us redoing stuff you get to see that so uh I, yeah i agree i think it's a great christmas gift so once you do all that you can give us a rate and review as well that would be very helpful now this graveyard tells episode is sponsored by better help so you know adam with the holidays coming up it, it's a hectic time and a, a lot of times we neglect our health sure. around this time. You get the sniffles, you just keep going. You, you get tired and exhausted. You're just pushing through because there's parties to be held and there's presents to get, decorations to put up. Um, and you just exhaust yourself. But oftentimes what we don't think about is how this affects our mental health. That's a good point. And yeah. and how how you how you feel and the holidays can be a really tough time for, for folks. 
So, I mean, you know, life doesn't come with a user's manual. So, when it's not going exactly how you expect it to, it's okay to feel stuck. Yeah. And, you know, getting around little challenges can really make you feel unsure. You know, sometimes it's a job change or a new relationship. Maybe you had a child. I, I've, I've gone through therapy several times, and uh, it's it's really made a difference. Um, and sometimes you don't even realize um, how, how much better things can be just by having somebody to talk to and point out some things that you might not even notice. That's a good point, um, especially during, like you said, these holidays. I know a lot of people get stressed during the holidays yeah. and what better time to have someone to talk to than, I mean, all the holiday stress is crazy. And right. if you're feeling it, you can talk to somebody at BetterHelp. Yeah, and and you may not have time to, to dig through and find a therapist and, and make an appointment, get there in the midst of all this, and BetterHelp makes that so much more simple. Um, you can go online, you answer some questions, um, you know, give them a little bit of information. They'll pair you with a therapist who will get a little bit more information from you. Uh, and you can start right then. Um, you know, you can video call, you can text and email. I mean, it connects you with a therapist that's there to help you. That's right. And as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% of the time. Plus, it's affordable. Like Matt said, you just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime, so it couldn't be simpler. There's no waiting rooms, there's no traffic, and no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash grave. That's betterhelp.com slash G-R-A-V-E. Right. So uh, if you think BetterHelp would be a match for you, I'm betting you're right. Just go to betterhelp.com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E, 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com. H-E-L-P dot com slash great. We'll stop with the housekeeping, Matt. And why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight we're going to head out west and we're going to take a look at the uh, Laredo Chapel in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Now, this is a little bit different because the the chapel is not haunted, um, but it has something that is very unique. Uh, the staircase that accesses the choir loft in the chapel has a very uh, unusual backstory. Yeah. And, origin story, per se. Yeah, origin story. and. It, it it also has a very uh, miraculous construction, according to some. So we're we're going to talk about what is so unique about this particular staircase, 
and the fact that it sits in the Laredo Chapel and uh, go into the story behind it. Uh, I think you're going to you're going to find it pretty interesting. Yep. And uh, I remember when I first heard about it, um, it really interested me because of the mysteries. And, you know, yeah. I, I love history. And so when there is a mystery like this uh, in in history, it, it's fascinating because we still don't know. It's not something that, oh, it was a mystery. Now we found out. We still don't really know. So let's get into some of the background and, and the history of the place and everything. Like we always say, go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found the information. Now, as we always do, we need to first look at the area. We need to look at New Mexico and Santa Fe, New Mexico, before we look at the chapel itself. Now, when the Europeans arrived in the 1500s, the majority of the tribes living in the area were Pueblo peoples, including such tribes as the Acoma, the Laguna, San Juan, Santa Ana, and the Zuni. The Pueblo lived in multi-story buildings made from adobe clay, um, and they sometimes built their towns into the sides of cliffs for protection. Other Native Americans that lived in New Mexico at the time included the Apache, the Navajo, and the Ute. The first Europeans to arrive in New Mexico were the Spanish. In 1540, Spanish conquistador Francisco Vasquez de Coronado arrived with a large group of soldiers. He was searching for the fabled seven cities of gold. Well, guess what? He never found the gold, but he did claim all of that land for Spain. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I have used I have used that phrase so many times. I claim this for Spain. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, it happened I was, a lot. <laughs> I, I had a I when I was uh, when I was younger, I had a fireworks uh, business, a fireworks tent. Okay. And the, the company that, that we contracted with to get all our stuff, uh, sent us, uh, a flag, an American flag on a metal post or pole, like right. hollow. And our instructions were to mount this on one of the, the tops of the tent pole. Okay. Now we're talking about a tent that's like a circus tent. It's yeah. huge. Okay. And so somebody had to climb up there. So one of the guys, he, he's climbing up there. I mean, it's not easy. Plus, it's hot. It's summertime. The top of that canvas was super hot. He's trudging, pulling on ropes, trying to get to the very top of this stupid tent. He gets to the top and he holds up this flag and I'm down there at the ground going, I claim this for Spade. <laughs> and he starts laughing and drops the flag. Oh, great. And he slides all the way back down. And he was like, oh, my God. That's what he gets for not tying off the flag. <laughs> oh, it was great. He had to go climb down and, get <laughs> and go back up. <laughs> well, Spain did claim a lot of stuff that probably wasn't theirs back in the day. But um, they came in. They claimed all that land of New Mexico uh, for Spain. Now, in 1598, New Mexico became an official official colony of Spain. The first capital was San Juan de los Caballeros. Um, the Spanish built Catholic missions throughout the region where priests taught the Native Americans about their religion. 
They tried to force the Native Americans to become Christians. Well, in 1680, a Pueblo leader named Pope led the Pueblo in a revolt against the Spanish, known as the Pueblo Revolt. You can read about that if you're interested. Um, They did manage to push the Spanish out of New Mexico for a short while, but the Spanish soon returned and took it back. Now, throughout the 1700s, the Spanish and the Native American tribes quarreled as more Spanish settlers moved in and took over the land. In 1821, Mexico became independent from Spain. So New Mexico was a province of Mexico, and because it was close to the United States, New Mexico established trade along the Santa Fe Trail, which we've discussed before, to the state of Missouri. The Santa Fe Trail became one of the major routes for people traveling west from the United States. Now, in 1846, the Mexican-American War began over a border dispute between Texas and Mexico. After the United States won the war in 1848, they gained control of New Mexico through the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Now, New Mexico became a U.S. territory in 1850. Now, during the late 1800s, keep the 1850 in mind because that comes back up here in shortly. Mm. Uh, during the late 1800s in New Mexico, there were few lawmen, and some of the towns in New Mexico became known as places where outlaws, gamblers, and horse thieves lived. And the most famous outlaw in New Mexico at the time was Billy the Kid. Just yeah. Thought that was interesting. You don't you don't think about New Mexico necessarily when you're talking about the old west. Yeah, the wild west um, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but it, but it it was. I mean, you know, go back and and watch some old Gunsmoke and and Big Valley and and shows like that and they talk about, you know, going down to, to New Mexico or you'll hear them you'll hear them refer to old Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they got to you know, they're they're on the run and they got to get to old Mexico. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, that area was, was rife with outlaws because, you know, there weren't enough lawmen to go around and there was so much territory that you right. know, it, it made it, it made it a safe haven for those that were, uh, on the, on the outskirts of the law. Right. Right. So keep that in mind. Uh, it was Wild West. Billy the Kid was there and everything in 1850. So all through the 1800s, keep that in mind because, um, like I said, that's going to come back up here in a minute. So when we start talking about that date again, remember this time frame. Remember what it was like during 1850, the 1860s. It was rough and tumble. It was very few lawmen just kind of people doing and living as they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Now, here's here's an interesting thing, Matt. Maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. New Mexico was admitted to the U.S. as the 47th state on January 6, 1912. Did you realize wow. it was so late? No. I. Well, no, I didn't. Yeah. If, you'd, if you had asked me that, I, I would have said it was sometime in the 1800s. Right, right. And that's um, that's what I thought was that it was sometime in the 1800s, and it it's just fascinating how late we I, got some of the uh, the the states folded into the United States. You know, 1912 seems like pretty pretty late for getting states, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you think about it, you know, New New Mexico 
just celebrated their hundredth uh, anniversary ten years ago. Yeah, that I mean that just you're right. It it it's a young state. Mm-hmm. It, it it just doesn't it doesn't register when you first think about right, it. Right, right. Now, because it was so remote and sparsely populated, it actually became the center for development of the atomic bomb during World War II. So let's touch on that a little bit more. Now, on July 16th, 1945, the world's first atomic bomb was tested at the Trinity site in central New Mexico. The bomb was the creation of the Manhattan Project, which had been commissioned to build a nuclear weapon in 1942 after receiving intelligence that Germany was developing an atomic bomb of its own. Apparently, residents of New Mexico felt the 19 kiloton explosion from as far as 160 miles away. Good Lord. So it, they became a state in 1912. So what was it? 33 years later, they're developing the atomic bomb in that yeah. state. Because it was, it was so sparse. But there mm-hmm. were people there. And and they felt that 19 t- kiloton explosion. Yeah, from 160 miles away, mm-hmm. you imagine, you, you don't even know what's going on. All yeah. of a sudden, you're, why was that? Yeah, your house just starts shaking and you're going, good grief. Did grandpa have chili for dinner? I don't understand. <laughs> now, the Spanish language spoken by close to a quarter of a million people throughout New Mexico and southern Colorado is actually an ancient dialect that is largely Castilian in origin. So it's not exactly from Sp- like it's not Spanish from that that we yeah, know of Spanish. It's it's a different dialect. Yeah, it's it's not Spanish proper. Yeah. So. Now obviously, um we have to say that Area 51 is there and that's really all I'm going to say about Area 51 in this episode. We don't need to go. <laughs> yeah. But Area 51 is in New Mexico, and so is the Laredo Chapel. Uh, now, White Sands uh, National Park contains the largest gypsum dune field in the world. The results of water evaporating from transitory lakes with high mineral content, gypsum deposits are windswept into picturesque white, sands, uh, white sand dunes spanning 275 square miles. Now, I went there as a little kid. Uh, my parents took me to White Sands, New Mexico, and I don't remember very much of it, but I do have this one vivid memory that you'll find interesting, Matt. There was a river there in White Sands, and they had these glass bottom like paddle boat type things that you get on and take a tour of this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you're going through and you're looking down and you see some fish or some turtles, all of a sudden, this actress dressed up like a mermaid swims under the boat. Oh, Lord. And waves at you. <laughs> and so, you know, you had people screaming or whatever. I was fascinated because I'm like, hey, a mermaid. Even at that young age, I'm, you know, going, wait a minute. Is this true? What is this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then the thing that blew my mind, the reason I still remember it is after she swam one way, she comes back the other way with a pig swimming behind her, following her. A pig? A pig. They taught a pig to dive under this boat and swim across the river and come back up. <laughs> Why? That, I don't know. I don't have that answer for you, but it, it but- has been solidified in my mind. So I would like to know if anybody else <laughs> experienced the mermaids and pigs in White Sands. Mermaids and pigs. 
Tonight may absolutely be the first time that mermaids and pigs have ever been said. Probably. <laughs> in, I, in the same sentence. Yeah, especially. Except for the people that were sitting around coming up with ideas for that tour and go, okay, so what if the mermaid swims back with a pig? Right, right. <laughs> that would blow people's minds, man. Let's do it. So either that was a really weird tour that I has been burned into my memory or we somehow ended up in area 51 and that's the screen memories they gave me for what I saw. <laughs> like I saw aliens and they showed me a mermaid with a pig swimming behind it. One of the two. Um, but if you ever did that tour, I would all, I would like to know and know that I'm not entirely crazy. Um, aqua pig. Yeah. Aqua pig, aqua pig does whatever an aqua pig does. Um, <laughs> Now, this comes from uh, Town Square Publications, and it says Santa Fe was established in 1608, and it's the oldest capital city in the United States, which is pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Santa Fe, named uh, Villa Real de la Santa Fe de San Francisco de Asís by the Spanish, means holy faith. Um, now, before the arrival of the Spanish in the 16th century, Native American culture flourished in the area, and the Pueblo Ogapoge was built in 900 A.D. on the Santa Fe Plaza site, but was abandoned in 1425. Almost 200 years later, Santa Fe expanded outward from this plaza, and the Palace of the Governors uh, was its uh, central building. Now, the Pueblo Indians regained control of that land in the, in 1680, like I was saying, during that Pueblo revolt, but authority returned to the Spanish in 1692. So it wasn't very long that the Pueblo had run the Spanish out. Um, and that city was reclaimed by Don Diego de Vargas. In 1712, Fiesta was established to celebrate Vargas's victory, and Santa Feans continued to uphold the Fiesta tradition every September. So they're uh, All right. every September, Santa Fe has a fiesta. Um, now, New Mexico, like I said, became a U.S. territory in 1850, then was named the 47th state in 1912. In the 1920s, Santa Fe was a thriving art colony and Indian market, according to this. Um, so let's look at Laredo Chapel real quick. Now, in 1850, remember what was going on in 1850? I said this would mm -hmm. come up. Uh, the Vicarate of New Mexico was established under the first bishop of the territory. His name was Jean-Baptiste Lamy. Um, he saw the need to educate the girls of that territory. So he sent a plea to the Catholic teaching orders to open a school for girls in that area. Now, the Sisters of Laredo responded and sent six sisters to open the Laredo Academy. Having been recently under Mexican rule, the territory of New Mexico was full of Spanish-speaking citizens. So, the six sisters had to learn the Spanish language, and after an arduous trip during which the mother superior actually died, they finally arrived in Santa Fe and opened their school in 1853. So, Wild West, and they're still op they're opening this school to a uh, school yeah. for girls to teach the girls to read and write and all that stuff. So, not not only that, they're they're sending six nuns to do this, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, again, you know, this was. This was an untamed part of the United States. Right. None more worthy, though. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, but, you know, just imagine what 
was going through those sisters' head. Mm-hmm. We're 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 going on this, you know, this adventure essentially to to start the school. I would imagine that they were excited, probably a little a little fearful. Oh, I'm sure. Um, but because you know, it was it was the unknown. It was it was the wild west. Yep. and here they come. Probably a to town of school. a lot of debauchery and oh yeah stuff that you know went against their faith and they were going into the heart of this because mm-hmm. uh, there were brothels and all that in the wild west so it's an interesting juxtaposition there having yeah a spanish school for girls there run by nuns in this wild west town now by 1873 the sisters were able to start the construction of a chapel Now, using the same French architect as builders, um, using the same French architect and builders as St. Francis Cathedral Basilica, the Chapel of Our Lady of Light, as it was known then, was patterned after Archbishop Lamy's favorite St. Chapelle in Paris. With its Gothic-style architecture, the chapel stood out sitting amongst all these small adobe buildings that were surrounding it back then. So you got to think it, it's mostly adobe in that mm-hmm. area. And they're building this Gothic style chapel. Uh, right. But unfortunately the architect died before access to the choir loft was built. Yeah. So they, they, they realized Hey, we've got this really awesome choir loft and we have no way to get up. <laughs> They're having a rappel so, up there throwing grappling hooks and stuff to get the sisters up there. Right. And so the first solution was, well, we'll use a ladder. But the sisters weren't all that interested in climbing up and down a ladder to get into the choir loft. I'm sure. So yeah. they they decided that they they needed a staircase. Um but it wasn't so much that having another carpenter build a staircase to the choir loft was a problem. The problem was the particulars that the nuns placed on the job. Okay. The the notion of constructing an ordinary staircase up to the choir loft was uh, apparently rejected because it would have limited the available seating in the chapel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it wouldn't have looked very nice. Right. Right. So, so they, they, they wanted something that was going to be aesthetically appealing, um, but functional. So sometimes that those two things don't always go together. Yeah, exactly. So builders were called in, but no one could really provide what the nuns envisioned for the chapel. So the sisters, began to pray a novena to St. Joseph, the master carpenter, to provide them an answer. Now, here is where the legend kicks in. So the prayers continued for nine days when a mysterious man arrived at the chapel with a set of modest tools. He told the nuns that if they agreed, he would be able to construct them a staircase that met their specifications. The man told them all he needed them to provide were a couple of tubs of water and privacy. Now, the sisters going into the chapel to pray would see the tubs with wood soaking in them, 
but the man always left while they said their prayers and would resume work when the chapel was free. Now, there are some who say that the circular stair, which stands there still today, was built very quickly. Others say that it, it took quite a bit of time. Of course, you got to realize if you, if you believe the, the story, it was built by one man. Right. So that's, that's going to take a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- they did, they did get the stair. He did get the staircase built. Um, and it's in a, in a double helix design without support of any kind and without a single nail or screw. Which is incredible. Right. Now, the floor space used was minimal, and the stairs added a sense of beauty to access the choir loft. So it was, it was, it was wonderful. The sisters loved it. They were overjoyed, and they planned a fine dinner to honor this carpenter. But they couldn't find him. Hmm. Yeah. Nobody seemed to know who he was where he lived or anything about him, but they actually went and checked lumber yards to see uh, where maybe they could find out who purchased the wood. Um, but there were no bills for the sisters of Laredo. Um, so they, they couldn't even find who sold him the wood. Now, skilled men went in and inspected the stairs and None of them knew what kind of wood had been used, and they they just knew that it wasn't indigenous to that area. Now, the nuns actually ran advertisements for the carpenter in the New Mexican and never got a response. That's weird. So he didn't collect any payment, any credit. He just built this amazing staircase for these nuns. And left. And left. That's incredible. So the nuns and, and you know, those that were devout believed that it was St. Joseph himself who came and built the staircase. That's a pretty great story. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes legends and stories like that, they... They get changed. They get embellished over time. And then you begin to wonder, well, is it really true? We don't know 100%. But what we do know is that the staircase exists and it's there and you can still go see it today. Right. So beyond the mystery of the man that built it, um, what else is so special about this particular staircase? Okay, Matt, so let's talk about a new sponsor of Graveyard Tales, and that's Lomi by Pila. Now, here's the thing, Matt, you know this as well as I do. Composting is not an easy thing. Ashley and I, we've got a big garden, and as I've said on a previous episode, we're going to expand the garden. Well, we have a composting bin, and Mm -hmm. this composting bin, You got to take everything outside. You dump it in there. You have to make sure you turn it all the time. Mm -hmm. It draws flies and gnats and bugs. And there's nowhere in our yard that we can put this composting bin far enough away from the house to where these bugs don't get in the house. 
Right. And it stinks. If you've ever had a composting pile, you know how much it stinks. That's why I am so ecstatic about this Lomi. And I have to say, we wholeheartedly endorse Lomi because it is a countertop composting bin that you can put all your food scraps in minus, you know, don't put hard bones or avocado pits or anything like that in there. But you can put meat, dairy, bread, all your vegetables, put everything in there. You close the lid and hit a button and within hours you have dirt that you can pour out. And you can add it straight to your straight to your garden. You can put it in your compost bin. If you don't do any of that and you just want to reduce food waste going in the trash, you can just then dump that dirt into the trash. It's amazing. I We have used this thing every day. It gets run every day. It uses a low amount of electricity, so you don't have to worry about electricity spikes. Yeah. I mean, this... The Lomi is absolutely amazing. I have never, I have never seen any product quite like it, and I have never been more pleased with a product that did what it said it would do. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we got so excited and immediately put it to use. Oh yeah, it's incredible, and all of our food scraps just go right into the bin, and. Like Amanda says, if look, if I'm not making dirt when we go to bed, then I'm I'm missing out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, we absolutely love it. We have less garbage, but we have less food garbage. And you know, I have a teenager, multiple teenagers. So uh, you know, there's there's food scraps galore. You know, yeah, and and we can just put them in the loamy. Well, that's the amazing thing is you can scrape your plate straight into the loamy. And if you know anything about the regular composting bin, you can't put meat or dairy or starches in there like breads because it takes so long to break down that it'll rot and it'll ruin your soil. Well, with the loamy, everything is so quick. It happens within hours that you can put Mm -hmm. any food product. I tell you, I scraped a half-eaten half my uneaten bowl of chili into the loamy one night great dirt the next day i mean it it was it just like dirt and i have to be honest i was kind of skeptical when i first saw the ads about the loamy i was like there's no way that this could work as well as they say it does i'm here to tell you it works better than they say it does a hundred percent it absolutely does like matt said we have way less garbage that we throw away because we're being productive and making it into dirt. Uh, You know, I feel great that we're in the act of composting and creating soil instead of just throwing this stuff away and it going to waste. It can go straight into your garden. You can take the soil out of your loamy and go dump it into your garden. I love the grow mode. It -hmm. takes a little bit longer than the quick, but you can add a little tablet in there. It's a lower heat. So it doesn't kill off microbes and stuff in the soil. And the little tablet adds microbes back in. And you can mix this into dirt out of your yard and create potting soil. Yeah. Because it's that rich of a soil. It's amazing. Yeah. And I know what you're thinking. I'm I'm going to have a composter in my home. Well, let me tell you something. Not only does Lomi not stink, 
it doesn't smell at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't smell at all. We got right up there close to it. And you can't smell a thing. And it's no louder than running a fan. Yeah. And you, you, you don't even notice that it's there. And the smell thing was incredible. I intentionally left food in there, the chili that I spoke of. We left it in there for nearly a week when I first got it because I wanted to test the smell factor of it. You get up near it when that lid is on, you cannot smell it. It's got two activated charcoal filters in there to keep the smell down and it seals tight. Your room does not smell. It is incredible. And if you do like Amanda does and run it every night, you don't even have to worry about that. That's right. That's right. Start it before you go to bed. When you wake up in the morning, you've got dirt that you can put to use. So if you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com, that's L-O-M-I.com slash grave and use the promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E, to get $50 off your Lomi. Yep, that's $50 off when you head to L-O-M-I-Lomi.com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E, and use our promo code GRAVE at checkout. Food waste is gross. Lomi is your solution. And with the holidays just around the corner, Lomi will make the perfect gift for someone on your shopping list. Now, as I said, it's a double helix design. The the staircase has two complete 360-degree turns with no center pole for structural support. So if, if you've ever looked at a spiral staircase, you'll notice that there is a, a main pole that will go from floor to the top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. And, and the staircase is kind of built around that. Right. The staircase in the Laredo Chapel doesn't have any such pole. The entire weight of the staircase rests on the bottom stair. The banisters were added about 10 years later due to the difficulty of climbing the tall tapered stairs without a railing. And the underside of the stairs were originally open. Can you imagine that you're going up? You're going up those crazy steps, no 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 handrail, and the, the between the steps is open. No, that my fear of heights would <laughs> kick in. I'd <laughs> Yeah. I'd ruin the staircase <laughs> peeing the whole way up. But they they later filled it in with a horsehair and lime mixture painted to look like wood. Gross. Gross. Absolutely gross. Why? <laughs> It's like, oh, we, well, you know, we're not going to use any wood. Let's yeah. let's make this horsehair and lime, and we'll horsehair and lime. That's uh, that's a new Snapple flavor, I hear. I think it is. Yeah, it's it's not selling very well, but they're trying. It's one of their holiday flavors. <laughs> that's right. Hey, speaking of holiday flavors, um, have you seen the holiday flavor of Red Bull? No. It's a fig apple. Yeah. I, Red Bull in and of itself is bad enough. <laughs> I don't know why they have to flavor it. It's not going to get any better. Listen, 
the the strawberry apricot one that came out this summer was was pretty good. Really, the fig apple, I think you'll be okay <laughs> if you, if you if you can't get your hands on it, uh, but you can. It's everywhere. Anyway, uh, I digress. Okay, so it's a, it's also important to note that the staircase has thirty three steps, which was the age of Christ when he was crucified. Which also kind of speaks to the miraculous allure of the chapel, right? Okay, you know the you know thirty three steps. Jesus was thirty three. You know it just all all those things go together. Um, but but let's look a little bit further into the mysteries behind the staircase. First of all, construction of a staircase like this takes skill, and the fact that an apparent drifter just happened to wander into the chapel with the understanding to create such a structure is oddly coincidental, to say the least, mm-hmm. okay? That this mystery man built the staircase alone is downright bizarre. Yeah. I mean, you know, that how, how could you even begin to build a structure like this without some help? You know, another set of hands, at least. Mm-hmm. But according to the story, that's exactly what happened. Now, Greg Chamberlain of Stair Builders Star South Incorporated of Eatonton, Georgia, said, quote, we all like to think we create creative stair designs and nice curved staircases, but to think how they did it that long ago and still attain the same quality is breathtaking. Now, of course, this type of construction would have been performed with a crew, would be performed with a crew, along with modern tools today. But in 1878, without the aid of sophisticated tools and workers, it was a much more daunting task. Oh, yeah. Okay? Now, skeptics like to point out the fact that the original staircase was not all that miraculous in that it really wasn't all that safe. We already said it didn't have a rail, mm-hmm. okay? And it was a pretty steep climb and descent, uh, and it frightened the nuns so bad that they would come down the stairway on their hands and knees. Huh. Yeah. So they didn't want to climb a ladder. Now they're climbing the stairs like a ladder. Yeah. But also, the helix shape of the staircase acts exactly like what it resembles, a big spring. And a lot of visitors to the chapel reported that the stairs moved up and down as they went, as they walked on them. And that's kind of by design, I learned, that it was meant to do that. That's part of the structural integrity. Right. Is the flexibility. Um. That, that it, you know, it, it gives it that strength by allowing it to give a little bit. I mean, you know, th- think about, um, think about like a, a, a big tall building that is, you know, it's got, it's got supports that allow it to sway in the wind. Because mm-hmm. if it was stiff, you know, it might just snap. Okay. So very similar, you know, it, it, it had some give to it. Now, the staircase has been closed to public access for several decades um, for various reasons. You know, there's, there's no uh, 
no no actual fire exits and things like that. Um and you know, given for the closure at different times, the lead investigator who looked into the staircase was a man named Joe Nickel. He said there's a reason to suspect that the staircase may be more unstable and potentially unsafe than some realize. So, uh, you know, Joe Nickel was essentially saying, okay, yeah, this, this staircase is, is beautiful, but it's been standing so long because they don't let anybody walk on it. Um, you know, if they did today, it would probably just fall apart. So he's like, you maybe, know, why, yeah. why would, why would a miraculous staircase be so unsteady that you had to just completely prevent it from being used? Yeah. It, I mean, I, I get where he's coming from and that, that is true. Um, you kind of have to take Joe nickel with a grain of salt. Um, you do cause it's Joe nickel. Um, but I, I think that, that doesn't detract from the the obvious quote miracle of this is the random dude who could build this by himself. Exactly. You know, yeah, it may be sturdier if he'd have had a team, but he just showed up out of the desert, out of out of the wild west and built this beautiful French style staircase in new mexico and then just disappeared yeah but you know if if you look at the laredo chapel website that that spring action that made people feel like that the staircase was unsteady it, it was intentional I mean, oh yeah it's yep. it's the way you had to design it mm-hmm. for it to stand on its own without support right. it's got to do that right. it's got to give so, uh, Nickel observed when he visited Laredo in 1993 that the structure included an additional support, an iron brace or bracket that stabilized the staircase by rigidly connecting the outer stringer to one of the columns that supports the loft. Now, Nickel concluded it would thus appear that the Laredo staircase is subject to the laws of physics just like any other. But there's something interesting about these brackets, okay? The two small brackets that Nickel is referring to can be seen on the outside connecting the stairs to the column. Now, these brackets and a pillar were added in the mid-20th century in order to provide more support and protect the staircase from negative effects due to vibrations from passing cars and trucks. Unfortunately, rather than helping the structural integrity of the staircase, the modern brackets damage the sides of it mm-hmm. by preventing the natural spring-like movement of the staircase while it was in use. Right. So again, you know, somebody comes in and they said, oh, oh well, you know, we got to make this more steady. People are complaining that it's moving up and down. So we're going to put these iron brackets up and fasten it to this pillar, this post. We're also going to build another pillar so that it's a little bit more secure. And lo and behold, they mucked it up. Okay. Yeah. The, 
eliminating that spring-like motion actually damaged it. Mm-hmm. Okay, to the point that they they really that's you know that's another reason why they had to completely uh, uh, close it off to anybody being able to walk up and down it. Now, Seattle-based stair design consultant Sean Chrisman said the structure bears distinct French design qualities that he has seen in books. Now, Chrisman said he thinks it took at least a year and maybe two for one person to build these particular stairs. And I said, that's a big task, um, especially to build one as, you know, as unique and beautiful as this one. Right. But 150 years ago, it took a very well-trained, seasoned, experienced master craftsman, said Chrisman. And he added, the stairway could well be a melding of good design and divinity, if, if it's not a complete miracle in itself. Mm-hmm. Now, Chrisman goes on to say that the French-inspired design was not uncommon and that other staircases similar to this existed in other parts of the world around the same time. But as Adam said, where the miracle may lie is that an experienced, skilled carpenter that understood the design and how to build it just wandered out of the New Mexico desert. Right. That's, that's where the miracle is really. Um, because, because the the resources he had available to him were saying they were limited is, is an understatement. Okay. So he had, had minimal tools to work with. He apparently had zero assistance. Um, so, so this was pretty tough, but the, the fact that here's this guy in New Mexico that knew so much about French architecture that he could build one of these staircases alone you know, in a chapel in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, although the, the design of the Loretto stairs is highly unusual, uh, Chrisman is correct. Other spiral staircases without center supports are known to exist, even in the United States. Uh, one example can be found at the old Washu Club in Virginia City, Nevada, which also dates back to the 1870s. The stair, this staircase was described by Ripley's Believe It or Not as the longest of its kind without a supporting pole, although it does have fewer turns than the Laredo staircase. Right. Um, and that, that makes me wonder, man, I wonder if this guy left and went to uh, Virginia City, Nevada yeah. and uh, built built another staircase. And it's possible, <laughs> you know, it, it would be something to maybe look into to see if there's multiple uh, mysterious architects and they're coming through and they this one dude just went through all of the states trying to build yeah. these crazy staircases. Maybe it was Maybe it was a miracle in the sense of he was, he thought that was his life mission was to build these miraculous staircases. And that's why he didn't take payment. Yeah. And, you know, people have done, have done research into trying to, uh, figure out who this person was. Um, and they have some ideas, but no definitive answer on, on who the, the architect was here. Right. 
Uh, but as he mentioned, one of the miraculous aspects of the staircase is that it lacks the newel post or the central pole that is usually used to support and stabilize a spiral staircase. But And therefore, the means of supporting the weight isn't exactly obvious. But the, the staircase is supported by its stringers. Now, you know, the stringer is that, that, that the, the line that has the, the spots for the step. Mm-hmm. Okay? You know, so on a normal staircase, your stringer is the, th- is the things on the side where the, um, the steps actually are supported, you know, the diagonal shape. But in this case, they're they're not traditional. They're curved, which, you know, that's unusual to say the least. Um, but uh, they're they're more or less twisted, really. Observers have noticed that the inside stringer has such a tight radius that it's able to function similarly to a straight center support. Does that make hmm. sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean you you've got you've got the the curve to it so sharp. It's so tight that that curve actually begins to mimic the strength of a center pole. Now according to an analysis by a professional carpenter in uh, mysterious New Mexico, the assembly of the stringers from overlapping segments joined by wood glue creates a laminate that's actually stronger than the wood by itself. Hmm. So by creating this overlapping uh, wood stringer and not connecting it with nails or screws, um, they actually made this stronger than if it had been just constructed with wood and nails. And that's pretty ingenious. Right. Now, additionally, the use of wooden pegs rather than nails prevents degradation of the joints due to compression as the wood swells against the nails from humidity and changes in temperature. Now, others claim that the fact that the structure may have been built without the use of of nails is hardly remarkable because nails were often an unavailable or precious commodity to builders of uh, the earlier eras. But they were able to develop a number of techniques for fastening wood without them. So depending on who you ask, the absence of nails may have been intended and not just due to lack of resources. Right. So, you know, some people will say, oh, you know, they didn't, nobody, nobody could get nails, you know, out, out west at that time. It was really hard. And if you did, they were expensive and, and all this stuff. Yeah, we, we get that. Um, but it looks like this was probably more purposeful uh, than it was just due to, well, I can't get nails, so I've got to come up with another solution. Right. It's like this, this looks like it was the solution. Um, from the get go. So lastly, let's let's talk about the wood that is used in the staircase. Now, the exact wood used to build the staircase is unknown. Although it has been confirmed to be a type of spruce that's non-native to New Mexico and scientifically not identified anywhere else in the world. 
a large enough sample has not been made available for wood analysts to determine which of the 10 spruces, uh, which of the 10 spruce species found in North America and thus precisely where the wood came from. So, you know, that when you start looking into this, it, it gets very convoluted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, skeptics are going to say, look, this is, this is a wood that he would have had available to him. It's not a big deal. Um, all this other stuff. But when they look at the analysis, that type of spruce, not only is it not native to New Mexico, they can't figure out where it comes from anywhere. Right. Okay. So, I mean, at least they can identify it as spruce. But they have not been able to pinpoint um, where, where, what type of spruce and where it came from. And, you know, the chapel is just not readily handing out chunks of this <laughs> miraculous staircase for them. To, right. For, for them to look. And so that, that, that makes some people go, oh, yeah, they don't want, they don't want their, uh, their miracle tarnished by somebody analyzing the wood. And figuring out, uh, you know, this is this is what it is, and it was everywhere. So that, again, I, in my opinion, it doesn't matter. No, I think they don't want it, their. It doesn't matter. They don't want to hand out chunks of the wood because they don't want their staircase falling down. That's what I say, and and it's you know the Loretto Chapel is on the National Register of Historic Places, and if you if you know anything about Catholic churches, the, the, the structure, the items, everything that has to do with those, those buildings is sacred. Right. And they're not just going to go lop a chunk of wood off of this staircase that they believe had a miraculous design mm-hmm. just to satisfy somebody's curiosity. Right. I, I can't fault them for that. Yeah. I would love to be able to find out, you know, definitively, this is some wood that we can't, we don't know what it is. Yeah. And see, it's, it's miracle wood. I would love to hear that. Yeah. I know. But we're probably not going to. No, no, we're, we're not going to hear that. Uh, even if they did test it and find out that it was miracle wood, I doubt anybody's going to admit that this is miracle wood. Oh, Adam, we're here at the holidays again. Again. And one one of the things that I enjoy and loathe at the same time is holiday shopping. Oh, yeah. Yep. I I mean, you know, the the stores are crowded. People are rushing around. You know, everybody has this idea. I'm shopping full of the Christmas spirit. Well, get out of my way so I can (laughs) get what I need. But, you know, there is a way around it. And you, sometimes you just have to shop to find that perfect gift for that person on your list. And you, you don't know it until you see it. And that's where shopping online at Uncommon Goods comes into play. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent business. I mean, these are fine products often made in small batches. So you better start shopping now 
or they will sell out. That's very true. And Ashley and I love kitchen gadgets. Like it, it may be, it, it may be something we can't stop buying is kitchen gadgets. And the cool thing is that Uncommon Goods, they've got art, jewelry, kitchen gadgets and stuff. They've got home and bar things. And they got something for everyone. And it's not the same lackluster gifts that you'd find in a, a, a store within town. You know, it, it's unique, individualized stuff. And I, I tell you, we bought a puzzle. We are puzzle fanatics, jigsaw puzzle fanatics. And you think you bought a puzzle? You can buy a puzzle. Okay. Th- their puzzles are incredible. The one we got, yeah. we added text to it. So it has our names on buttons within the puzzle. So that's something you can find is, oh, hey, there's my name. There's Michael's name. There's Ashley's name. And they've got 3D puzzles. They've got puzzles that aren't just square. So if you're into puzzles, they've got yeah. they've got you hooked up. Plus kitchen gadgets, if you're like us, or anything. Yeah. Outdoor products. I found... An, an amazing camping blanket. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. Not only that, it is from uh, a, a series of national parks tribute. Oh, yeah. So, of course, being in Tennessee, I got the Great Smoky Mountains blanket. There you go. It, it's phenomenal, man. It's so cool. It, it's warm. It's perfect. It has a big silhouette of a bear on it. I mean, you're just not going to find things like this just at, you know, the average mall store. No, you're not. And with every purchase you make, Uncommon Goods will give $1 back to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date, which is amazing. It's fantastic. So if you want to get your Christmas shopping done... And just get all of that holiday shopping out of the way in one place and get some unique gifts. And you want to get 15% off your next gift? Go to uncommongoods.com slash grave. That's uncommongoods.com slash G-R-A-V-E. Yeah, that's right. For 15% off that perfect gift for that special someone on your list, don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. Let's say, okay, they did test it and they find out it's spruce, but it's not New Mexican spruce. How did this dude in the 1850s get this wood from wherever Right. Shipped to New Mexico in a way that nobody knew it was coming in because those towns were small and you would yeah. see this shipment of wood coming in on horse and carriage and go, well, I wonder where this wood is going. Go talk to people. They'd yeah. tell you where it came from. I mean, it wouldn't be a secret. So if it's not wood from just down the road, where did he get this wood? How did he get it to New Mexico? How did he do it without anybody knowing? Mm-hmm. It's still, if you even said it was, oh, we, we found that it's Oregon uh, spruce or, or it's from Canada. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, it's still miraculous to me that he was able to get that much there and nobody right. know about it. Exactly. So in researching this, it was, I found it humorous that so many people, um, they, they tried to poo poo the idea that it had miraculous construction. Um, but that, Everything they come up was like, well, it's not that. Well, this is okay. This, this, they, everybody who's been doing this, it doesn't matter because it still doesn't fit. Right. Okay. The, yeah, the French had similar design staircases. Okay. Then what, why in the world would, would a guy that's wandering out of the New Mexican desert have, like I said, not only the knowledge of French architecture, mm-hmm. the skill to reproduce it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay? And, and even if he, he didn't have just rudimentary tools, even if he had more skilled tools, this was still something that was way more than a, a single person could accomplish. Right. Um, at the level that he did. So, I think when you when you look deeper, when you look below all of the the naysayers, all of the skeptics, you begin to see where the true miraculous aspect of this staircase comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, it it didn't just magically appear there. You know, it was built. It's still there. You can go and see it. You can't go up and down it, but it's still standing. And it's absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you look at this thing and the design, the more you look at it, the more you think, wow. I mean, that is just, it's amazing. And and it's amazing even if somebody told you, hey, there's, it was a whole crew that built this thing. So they did a fantastic job. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, so sometimes I think people get wrapped up in, that whole, the miracle thing, um, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's not turning water into wine or, or feeding 5,000 with, you know, loaves and fishes, mm-hmm. but it, it's still, it, it's still pretty incredible, incredible that this thing was built at the time it was built. Um, and at the level of skill, um, you know, to me, yeah. Okay. That's, that's got a miraculous quality to it. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, deep down, it would, I kind of wish that, I hope I'll say that the, uh, the quote miracles attributed to it are real, that it's an unknown species of wood that we can't Mm -hmm. figure out where it is that this dude was sent because of prayers and you know, I hope that's the case, but we don't know it. it, We probably never will know. And it's just, it's fascinating to me. And that's why I have been fascinated with this Loretto chapel for a while in this staircase because of all the question marks around it. Yeah. There are, Sure, there's question marks in history. I get it. But you've got still a tangible thing there. 
and there's still so many question marks. It's not like, well, they said this staircase was built, but we haven't, you know, the staircase fell down in 1904, so we don't have any way of looking at it or anything. It's still there. And you've got, like you said, there's stair builders that who knew there was a stair builder convention, but there is one. Right. <laughs> um, I guess there's a convention for everything, but oh, yeah. they look at it. And even some of them are like, well, now miracle or not, it's pretty incredible that this thing was built when it was built and how it was built. Mm hmm. Yeah, it, it, it is incredible. And, and, and go look at, go look at the pictures. Um, yeah, you're, you'll just be blown away. Uh, I, I know I was just at the, at the beauty and the design, uh, of this. And then when you learn the, the history of it, it, it makes it even more amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, this is where we ask you guys, Hey, what do you think? Um, I, I bet we've probably got some listeners that have, uh, either they've, they've been to Santa Fe, either know about the chapel or they may have even toured it and seen it firsthand. Um, I mean, the chapel nowadays is, is connected to a shopping mall and a hotel. Yeah. Um, uh. so, I mean, you know, it, there's, there's modern amenities. It's not stuck way out <laughs> in the desert. Um, uh, and, and it draws a lot of people. Um, weddings and, and, and everything there. I'll tell you what's, they've got a pretty incredible gift shop. Too. Yeah. Um, we were looking you know, I, through that. You and I were, <laughs> when we first started yeah. talking about doing this, we, we went to their website and we're like, I want one of those. I want one yeah. of those. They got some cool <laughs> necklaces there. Yeah. So re really, really neat items. Um, but you know, you, you guys think it was a miracle? Do you guys think that maybe, maybe, uh, St. Joseph did arrive at the, as an answer to these sisters prayers, uh, and construct this, you know, this amazing staircase. Um, or, or maybe not, maybe you think, eh, you know, this was probably built by a very skilled carpenter, uh, who knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, maybe so. A skilled um, carpenter turned vagrant in the that's right, 1800s. You know, come wandering in with a burrow and says like, mm -hmm. I can build your staircase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would become okay. a Disney movie or a Pixar movie. <laughs> like, I can do it. And just some random traveler comes in. He starts singing a song about staircases as he walks through uh, New Mexico. And they're like, oh, hey, we need a staircase. And it, it, it'd be a great Pixar movie. The Laredo Chapel yeah. Staircase. Hit yeah. me up, Pixar. We'll work together. <laughs> <laughs> but let us know what you think. And the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. We call it the graveyard. Well over 6,000 members. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of the most active groups that I've ever been associated with. It's, it's just, it, it's wonderful. It's a safe place for people to come in and share their stories of, you know, paranormal activity or, or little oddball things or jokes or whatever. A ton um, of some of the best weirdos out there. Uh, oh yeah. The, <laughs> Ab no doubt. There no there are kind of weirdos. We love it. But you can also check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And we mentioned that that's a, that's a good Christmas gift is mm -hmm. sign up, sign up your loved one for uh, the Graveyard Tales uh, Patreon 
uh, you get, well, I don't know what now, uh, 150 bonus episodes. Probably more. Um, yeah, a video and and everything and, and our never-ending thanks, but thanks because we couldn't continue to do this show um, with without the donations of our listeners, and we appreciate it so much. Mm-hmm. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.